0: Welcome back to the How Did I Get Here podcast. We have Alex back with us again today. So, what's up?
1: Hey, I was going to hit him with another kawaii, but... Yeah, what is it? Uh, the kawaii is what it do, baby. <laughs> yeah, you hit him up with that the first time. Yeah.
0: So, how um how involved are you in the wedding planning? You're you about to get married. What is it, May?
1: May. May 23rd, we're getting married. May 23rd. How involved am I? Uh, <laughs> enough. We just, uh, we bought a couch the other day, so. (laughs) Dude, a couch isn't wedding planning?
0: (laughs) I mean, that's not, that's not the same, that's not wedding planning, that doesn't count. You say enough. First of all, what kind of couch did you buy?
1: Oh, we bought, our couch is fire flames, okay? So, one of our convictions is that we're going to love people well. So, uh, we, we've saved money and we bought, we bought like a. Big sectional, like twelve by eight sectional. Nice. It, it's it's it can fit like seven Alex sized humans, and I'm six four, and I'm wide. Yeah, that so, is a big couch. So it's big.
0: So it's the 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 couch purchase was with the intent of having lots of people. Yeah, that's cool for sure. All right, but the wedding planning though specifically, I mean, what are you responsible for in regards to the wedding? Not 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 household not purchases. <laughs>
1: uh, well, I was supposed to get a suit. And get my guys on that. I don't think any any of my groomsmen have even gone to Men's Warehouse yet, but I've been fitted. So does that count?
0: Yeah, that counts. I mean, and you have time too. I we mean, we got some time. We got
1: some time. Uh, I'm also responsible for um, talking to the DJ. That sounds like the thing the guy does. I don't know if that's true, but yeah. So and I was supposed to set up a meeting with him before March, and we haven't set up a meeting yet. So I'm doing great. <laughs> Hey, it's it's not Marjorie. You got a couple <laughs> We got a couple Ooh You got two
0: days. Not so bad. not bad. Is there anything specific about the wedding that you're like I have to have this? I mean I know mm. that answer for guys is a lot different than it is for girls. Is there anything that you're like, look, baby, I know we're gonna I'm gonna give you the dream wedding, but I have to have this this thing. You're talking about on
1: our wedding day?
0: Yeah, like yeah, the wedding specifically, yeah. Uh
1: uh-huh. Ooh, I need this. This has got to happen yes. or else I'm going to be. I'm not going to be happy about it. Uh, This sounds bad, like weird, but I would say just like dancing, music and dancing.
0: Got to have dancing.
1: Yeah, got to have dancing at the wedding. Yeah, I, I want it to feel like a party. I want it to feel like it's an actual celebration. I don't want people to be sitting down all the time like, why are we here? Like,
0: Yeah, it's funny you said it. I really think that that is... I think it's an important part of a wedding, you know? Yeah. I mean, I know as Christians, you know, we got to be careful what kind of dance we're doing, we'll, you know, what we we'll dancing to. I know some people have feelings about that. But, I mean, yeah, I agree. I think, I think dancing
1: is important at the wedding. Can you dance? I mean, I can dance a little bit. I don't know if I can dance dance. <laughs> but if you throw on, like, the Cupid Shuffle, I got you.
0: So you could dance. Your dance abilities are at least suitable enough for
1: a wedding. For a wedding that's primarily Caucasian, yes. Yes. Our wedding it'll be fine.
0: I feel like I feel like dancing abilities are automatically tapered or you get a pass if you have a tux on. If oh, you, if you for have sure. a tux on, you get a pass. If you have, if you if you take the exact same dance moves that you have. Oh, definitely. And you have a tux on, people will be like, Oh man, he's not so bad he's but not then bad. if you got on a hoodie and, and some jeans you better be able to pop lock and, and drop. You can't it. and you know, you do you attempt that same thing. People are gonna be like, that dude can't dance. No. Yeah. So you get the wedding pass.
1: I think I'm just above the wedding pass. Gotcha. I'm not so far above it. I like my Millie Rock isn't great. But <laughs> My Millie Rock isn't great. At the same time, I mean, I used to be able to uh whip and nay nay, so I mean does Melissa
0: even know what a Millie Rock is?
1: If I said, do a Millie Rock, she wouldn't know. But if I showed her, she would know what it was. She has seen it. Gotcha.
0: But she would know what it's
1: If called. I just said Millie Rock right now, she would be like, who? <laughs> she would think I was talking about some sort of a pasteurized dairy product. <laughs> Let's get some Millie Rock in the house.
0: I feel like Millie Rock would 100% be the flavor of ice cream in our town. I feel like you could walk in any ice cream shop and Millie Rock would be on the...
1: Yeah, Millie Rock is the... Everybody's grandma gets Millie Rock. They always have it at their house. <laughs> grandma, you, you should, got any Millie Rock? You
0: should uh, You should make that some kind of item at your wedding right now. Some Millie Rock? Just make it. Just like, what do you guys have in you know, food? Was? Millie Rock. <laughs> <laughs> you just be like, we got that Millie Rock chicken for you at the wedding. <laughs> And then just where'd like you... and just listen to people and be like, oh, the wedding was so nice. Have you ever had that Millie Rock chicken before? <laughs> I've never had that before. Oh like, man, there
1: leaguer? there'd be like ten people who would know that we were joking. Everybody else would be like, wow, yeah, man, this Rock. is so good. We're you, finding out what we're eating in like two weeks. So. You'll you'll have somebody walk up to you and be like, where did you guys uh? Where'd you guys get that
0: Millie Rock chicken? Who <laughs> who catered that?
1: I might say a town, <laughs> dude. Our town is so white. Anyway. Yeah, that's true.
0: Um, so we have you back to continue just conversations about what we do. Um the the old pastor life. So you know this, and I think a lot of people know it. I don't know how much they would admit to it, but you know, a lot of what we do kind of lives and dies with how we are in a pulpit, right? Like so sermon Sermon writing and sermon prep and sermon delivery messages. Yeah, that's um, that's really at the top of what of what people view when they think of 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 pastors. You know, I mean, you could you could have somebody walk into a church and they know nothing about you or your church, and you deliver that fire, and they'll say, "Wow, that's that pastor's a good pastor." I mean, like, I mean, and there's there's obviously some validity to that, like mm-hmm. you know, the ability to preach and teach is it's very important when we talk about, about being a pastor and, um, every pastor that I've, that, that I've met have conversation with, I, I love to talk about this because I'm, I'm a nerd. I love knowing how people do what they do. Like, what's your process? You know, like I, you know, I, I'm a scribble writer and I start the process of, of, Sermon prep, okay. you know. So I, I start with okay, this is the portion of scripture, and then I just like write scribbles of stuff on sh- these little pieces of paper that you know I think the that the scripture is illuminating, and then so I kind of start there and and work my way, and my final draft, you know, isn't. It's it's after you know, hours sometimes of of scribbling, if you will. Um, but I know I know guys that do the opposite. They they go the other way around. You know they. They kind of have their their final template first and then they kind of, you know, fill in the fill in the gap. So, you know, like what's your what's your what's your sermon lesson prep writing process look like?
1: You talking about 2020 or are you talking to like uh, 2010?
0: You know what? That's good. I think we gotta go. We gotta do. We both. probably should go back. We gotta go both. You, wish, you want to go back and work forward? Or you want to oh, yeah, yeah, start yeah. today and work back? We
1: gotta start with the terrible stuff. All right, let's do for it. sure. Well, okay, I'll ask you after I tell you mine. But first, I'll tell you that uh, my experience with pastors is there was no nuance in 2010. It was like everybody has to be like this, and uh, I remember being told like you need to have a preaching journal where you put all your sermons in this one journal. And you fill it up and you do another one. Now, I'll tell you what. In sixth grade, I got a D in penmanship. (laughs) So, and anyone, any person who's ever seen me write would know that it's a very tough read. Yeah. So, I think some of my first sermons I I wrote down. I wrote down my sermons in a notebook. And uh, I would just not be able to read what I wrote down (laughs) in the middle of my message. Like not at all? No, not at all. And... So early on, the way that I would preach was uh, I was, I'm doing air quotes right now. Um, I know this is a radio show, but I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> I would be led by the Spirit to just say whatever comes off the cuff. Oof. And this is a thing that happens with young uh, teachers, young preachers. You, um, when I was 20 for sure, it was like, man, I'm about to put five notes in here and God's <laughs> going to lead the way. And that leads to some pretty. Uh, terrible things. I've been there for a couple of those. Oh, buddy. I mean, you know, 10% of the content's okay. So good, yeah. 40% is good. 30% eh. 10% is like, that guy, I'm not sure if he just, uh, condemned himself. He just made that up. (laughs) (laughs) In that moment. In that moment, he just made that up. So, uh, I would just say I used to be really, I was not very intentional about my sermon writing. And, um, I remember that uh, when I started to feel like I was gifted in some sort of way of preaching and teaching, that I needed to actually kind of hone my skills. But before we talk about that, do you have any horror stories of sermon writing, Cedric? For myself? Yes.
0: Yeah, so I think like you, I didn't know at the time, and it's more developed now, but I just... I honestly believe I have a natural gift to speak. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just, when I For what sure. I mean is it's like being able to speak to people, you know, which is crazy because I'm an introvert and I don't necessarily love talking to people, but what I do now, you know, mm-hmm. but, I, but I feel like that was a natural gift. So I feel like early on, I rode the wave of my gift to speak hard. Yeah. And I didn't, I'm not going to say that. I wasn't writing sermons, but they were similar to what you just said, just kind of like two points, three points, and I'll fill the rest in. And not necessarily fill the rest in while I was speaking, but just fill the rest in. But just kind of like some connective tissue. Some of it made sense, some of it didn't make sense. Uh, I think the biggest thing was I didn't even understand what the term sermon writing meant. Mm-hmm. I think that I thought of it from the like I thought of it as, oh, I have to write a lesson of what I'm gonna say, or write points, or I'm gonna create a PowerPoint, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get my transitions just right. I'm gonna go with the shade transition. <laughs> I'm gonna go with the the come in at your fast transition on this hot point. Some of those old powerpoints are just absolutely terrible. terrible. Um, so I think it wasn't. I wasn't. I didn't know if I even understood what the term sermon writing meant mm-hmm. from the perspective of taking what scripture says and using words to illuminate what that <laughs> says. And then giving points, if you will, or applications so that we could apply what the scripture says. That's really what sermon writing is. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't understand that. I was just like, oh, lesson time. I'm going to write this lesson and put some stuff together so people could you know, feel inspired. I think that's what it
1: was. Yeah. That's funny. I think the younger, the more immature, I wouldn't even say younger, the, m- the more immature you are in your preaching style, um, the more you rely on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And the more you mature in your preaching style, the more you rely on the scripture, or not yourself, and not yourself. <laughs> you realize, yeah, I can't really say this how it's supposed to be said. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've been there, but um, my process now is uh, much more honed. I I hope. And um, Kevin DeYoung, uh, he's a um, a leader in the, the Gospel Coalition and some other things.
0: By the way, quick plug, uh, Kevin DeYoung wrote a book. It's called Crazy Busy. It's a it's a short read, but it's a necessary read. So if you're a reader or if you're not a reader, just uh, go check that out. It's really good. Anyway, keep going.
1: This uh, podcast is not sponsored <laughs> by is, Kevin DeYoung. It is not But Kevin, if you're out there, I mean, we, I won't turn that sponsorship down. You won't turn it down. Kevin Wendy DeYoung young. has this uh, seminar on um, preaching, and he he posits that it takes 300 sermons until you find your voice. 300 sermons. So if you preach every Sunday for 52 Sundays. It'll take you six years to even find your preaching voice, and most, even most lead pastors, don't preach fifty-two Sundays a year. So the first thing is like I, I would encourage those out there that like it's okay, you have time, and two, like I'm encouraged by that. So my process, um, I think I started to really develop in preaching probably around 2015. Um, had great mentors and disciples and leaders in my church who. Identified that I could speak and I could teach. And so they started to de- to develop me in that way. Um, there's a little book called Simplicity in Preaching by J.C. Ryle. I think it's 16 pages.
0: Yeah, it's actually it's actually on the shelf behind me right it's, now.
1: There's literally not... I think his first paragraph's like, I'm not going to write a long book that's titled Simplicity in Preaching. And he he's like, hey, it's not about... We're not making preaching simple, but preaching in simplicity. And um, he talks about uh, that you should um, should know the subject that you're preaching on. You should use direct terms, like you. As pastors, for some reason, we feel like it's soft to say, we all feel this way. And um, it kind of lets people off the hook. But when you say you are doing this, Yeah, Uh, it speaks to the heart. Um, He says that you need to have great application and you need to have lots of illustrations. So probably my first test in preaching in sermon writing was like, okay, do I know my subject? Do I know it? Um, So that means study time, lots of study time. And then um, is it about Jesus? That's I actually have a checklist for my sermon. Is Jesus the hero of the story? So in my message, could someone even take a piece of my sermon and say, Jesus isn't the hero? I need to go back and rewrite it then. Is the main point of the story uh, or the sermon that we trust in Jesus for our rest and And if not, go back and change it. And then, is the sermon helping people rest in Jesus? And if not, go back and change it. So that even if we're talking about sin, the point of the the sermon on sin is that we are desperately hopeless without Christ, and only Jesus can save us. And then um, a few other things that have to go with that. But my process is if it's um, if it's a passage, like if it's we're teaching through Mark, I'll read that passage a lot. I'll be sit with that scripture a lot. I'll pray over it a lot, and. Then I'll kind of work my way out from there. So that's
0: what it looks like today. That's what it looks so, like today. So is it, I mean, is the primary difference between 2010, Sermon Writing Alex, and 2020 is just basically not following that model? I mean, I, I know you weren't leaving Jesus out of messages in 2010, yeah. but, but you know, so the, the basic difference is I just wasn't as meticulous, I wasn't as intentional, I wasn't following this... This script, if you will, of or this 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 template, if you will, of prepping for my sermons is that is that the primary difference.
1: Yeah, uh, part of it. The other primary difference is that I used to think that the the spirit could only lead in the moment, and <laughs> the reality is is that the spirit leads in your preparation.
0: Honestly, I think that that statement is we have been taught that. Yeah, and it's bad teaching. Bad, terrible. We've been like, and we, and honestly, I don't even know if we've been taught that uh, directly. I think, I think there are some pastors that teach that by the way they deliver. Obviously, some pastors say it. You know, they say, I mean, I'm, 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 you know, I'm getting, I'm caught in the spirit right now. Which there's, there's some accuracy to that statement because that has happened to me many times. Where I'm looking at my notes and something just pops into my head. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's not in my notes, but it's very accurate, and I'm like, I have to say this because this just came up. But I think, like you said, a lot of times you just the it was almost like the expectation or the Holy Spirit was only limited to in the momentness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that was, was, was good. You you asked me about the the process. You said something I just want to touch on real quick. So if I had to identify the major difference between sermon prep today and the past, it's Your comment about studying. So in the past, I used to study strictly for the purpose of sermon writing. Mm -hmm. When I say study, I mean like intense digging into the scripture was only for...
1: Your purpose.
0: The only reason I did that was for teaching sermons, preaching. Mm -hmm. And my personal was devotions, devotionals, devotions, reading scripture, understanding and applying it. But, you know, if I had to use you know, a term, I think I like, like an analogy. I was only digging like, you know, six feet deep for myself. And then when it came to preaching, it was like twenty feet deep. Like I'm um, you know, I'm I'm gonna go till I hit the center. And now it's the exact opposite. I actually don't study at all for sermons for sermons. And um, what I mean by I know that sounds like a broad say but what I mean by that is so much of my study time is for me to grow in faith knowing that the lord's going to use it for me to teach it to somebody else that's what i mean so technically yes i still study for sermons but the studying of the scriptures for understanding and growth in godliness is for me as a christ follower and then as a spiritual leader and that has made an incredible difference in my preaching and teaching because I'd walk off the stage in the past and be like, oh, okay, you know, that was good. I did a good job. I did that for the people. The people got that message. And I was like, and I'm all right. And now it's the opposite. I think it's, it's it's you know, I'm, I've gone through it. I've gone through the fire. I've gone through the ringer in my own life. Mm-hmm. And I'm compelled to teach and preach this to somebody. Yeah. This is going to come out. And now part of my sermon writing is is using very specific things to get that message across In very specific teaching environments. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think that's that's a primary difference.
1: So when you say process, I mean I think part part of the difference is that it depends on what I'm preaching. Like I think one of our primary differences is. um, Cedric is, maybe I'm speaking out of line here, but I think Cedric is a great topical preacher because he preaches his topics exegetically and i think that and I, well, I know this about me i feel very exegetical in my preaching and the only way i could do that well is to be a good topical preacher that comes from timothy keller a book called preaching
0: <laughs> also on the shelf behind me <laughs> which is a
1: great book he he contends for both styles of preaching and how they both need to be used together um so The way that I approach a topic versus, like, you've been given a passage is much different.
0: Yeah, I can see that. I think that's that's good. What about about how you decide? People ask me that all the time. You know, I sit and especially it happens, like, at the beginning of the year, you know, I'm sitting down and I'm thinking through and praying through things and... And, you know, and I stand up for Sunday of the year and I was like, hey, you know what? For the first part of the year, we're studying the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to study it all the way through. And we're going to take a quick little break. And then we're going to come back and study 2 Timothy. And I have someone say, how did you decide that? How did you pick that? So how do you decide what to preach on? If Greg runs up on you tomorrow and like, hey, I need you to preach the next two weeks, how do you decide what you're going to preach on?
1: Yeah. Well, that's a great question. I think Cedric is, I think you're right about if I'm not studying for the sake of knowing Jesus more personally, then that would be really hard. Uh, If now, if it's like spur of the moment, like, Hey, you're preaching tomorrow. Then hopefully my sermon comes out of my own personal study that I'm already primed and compelled to preach. But if I have, you know, I'm casting vision and like, okay, this is what we're going to preach as a youth pastor. I wrote all of our, um, all of our, studies we didn't um I was very I feel very convicted that we for the most part won't or shouldn't do topical preaching so um we studied through the book of John and it took us 2 years to do that so I mean I know the argue the arguments for and against it the way that I came to that decision was lots of prayer um, Lots of time with God where I didn't feel like I needed to make the decision right now. And honestly, I bounce it off of people. I don't know if you do that, but um, I talk to my trusted pastor friends like, Hey, is this something that you think would hit well for people? Or am I just kind of, you know, in a whole different world? So that's how we kind of decided to study the book of John. Being with the scripture a lot and being with God. Uh, a lot. So I think that's kind of just the broad answer. I don't know if you're looking for something more specific. No, I mean no. I think I think that's good. What's the,
0: what's the thing about the process specifically that people, who aren't part, who aren't pastors, would be surprised by? And like, what do you think, what do you think they would be surprised by about the process of sermon writing and sermon prep and
1: lesson prep? The process. One one of the things is the time that it takes. Um, I think I've told people that, you know, 12, 15, 20 hours on a, for a week to, to prepare a sermon. And most of the time people are super surprised, like that long, it takes that long. I'm convinced that, uh, because the scripture says that those who teach will be held to a higher standard, um, that I'm pretty scared to say something heretical. Like it terrifies me, <laughs> Terrifies me. terrified. Yeah. So I better be with the word. I better be with commentary. I better be with, in prayer. I better be with Jesus about it.
0: I have people ask me that. They say, are you afraid of public speaking? I was like, absolutely not. I'm not afraid to be a public speaker, but I'm terrified to preach. And I'm like, <laughs> wait, what, what's the difference? I'm like, there's a huge difference. <laughs> if someone's like, hey, can you give us five points on why iPhones are better than something else that you've used? I got it. I mean, I don't even know how right I'll be, but who cares? But I can talk about that. And I don't even have the pressure of wor- worried about whether I'm wrong or not. But when it comes to preaching the word of God, it's terrifying. Like you said, I'm just terrified to say something that's not there.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that's, um, I don't live in fear, and we shouldn't live in fear, and I don't preach in fear. The way to not preach in fear is to be so uh, well-equipped by the time that we spend with the word, with our Lord, and in prayer, that um, on, on Sunday or whatever day that is that we're ready to go. Um, one of the ways that it works, that works itself out is that I preach the sermon and record it several times and then listen back.
0: You still do that today?
1: Yeah. Still do it today. I, before I came in for the podcast, I was recording my time and my message for a retreat that I'm leading uh, this weekend, because I needed to know how much time it's going to take me. I need to know what I sound like. I need to know uh, what are the things that I think sound really good, but when I listen to them back, they're not that great. Um, I know
0: for a fact, when you were an intern, you definitely were not doing that. Heck, no!
1: <laughs> you definitely were not recording and checking your time. No, not even. <laughs> it was close. Definitely not something that took place. But, but that's cool. Uh, Greg, our the lead pastor at Southside, he's really helped me. To see that we we should be trying to be aware of our own idiosyncrasies, because we're going to fall back on those things, and if we are not aware of them, we're going to just become boring and bland and annoying and all the things that can distract people. Yeah,
0: um, maybe I don't I don't know if he would like me telling people this, but one of the things Pastor Zach does, and I I think this is cool, he will go back and watch one of his sermons, but he watches it on mute. Huh. and just watches and see like he's like if i was sitting in the crowd am i doing anything that would be distracting and, and i never i never heard anybody do that before and i thought you know that's really interesting and and obviously everyone's style is different i i mean it's having a pulpit is for me a pulpit is just a place for my bible to sit <laughs> i don't i don't i don't stand behind it you know I'm, i move back and forth a little bit i'm just more uh energetic i guess in that way if you want to use that word um so i know if i and I've done that. I've watched myself and I'm like, man, I really don't know if that's distracting or not. And But that's just part of my style. And there are times when I force myself, you know what, let's just move a little less or let's be a little less flaily with the arms because of the environment that you're in. But I think that's interesting.
1: Um, I, I usually have two people that I ask for feedback after my sermon and it's someone that, uh, someone I really respect that in the intellectual side of things, like how's the content? Was it solid? Did it sound good? Um, was it uh, heady enough, but not too heady? And then I asked someone else and I, to that person, I'm usually asking like, what did the people see? What did the people here? Mm-hmm. Um, because I want both. I want, I want to be able to speak the truth in love and the truth to come across clearly and doctrinally sound, but at the same time I want people in the crowd to like not be zoned out.
0: Yeah, I think if you're a speaker in any way, that's such an important thing to do. I do the exact same thing and I pick people that I trust, but I also pick people who I know are gonna be shocked that I ask them that question. Hmm. And I just walk up to them and say, hey, I said, Hey I have I need you to do me a favor. Can you tell me? And I ask them these specific questions about it. And you can tell they're just like why I like Wait, why are you asking me this? And I tell them Because I want to make sure that I'm delivering the word of God in a way that is, that's absorbable. I don't want it to be about me. I don't want it to be distracting. I don't want, and then obviously I'm really self-conscious about this. I, you know, I'm from the Caribbean, so I could speak 10 times faster than you can. It's just part of our culture. Mm -hmm. And when I moved here and started speaking, the thing that one of mentors here on staff would say to me all the time is you have to slow down. <laughs> you have to slow down because you get excited and your words come out real fast and then they come out fast and they get kind of mushed together and that was hard for me to do. And so much so that when people from home listen to me preach they're like you don't even sound like you're from the Bahamas. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I am, but I've had to force myself to be what I need to be for the people." That's good. In that in that way because I don't want to be I don't want to be distracting. So what, if somebody walks by your office on a day when you're studying and prepping, what are they going to see? Just just visually, what are they going to see?
1: So they're going to see a study Bible, uh, ESV study Bible. They're going to see commentary on that um, particular passage. Uh, our church is going through the book of Mark right now, and we're using a commentary on the book of Mark by a guy named Abraham Curie Villa. So they're going to see that. They're going to see my Bible. And they're going to see Evernote open. I use Evernote um, on my computer. And then Evernote's linked to my iPad. So my my I, I actually preach for my iPad mini. So those three things um, are going to be prevalent. And then there's going to be outside resources. There's going to be um, other books. There's probably going to be other tabs open as well. Um, yeah, pretty much immersed in for for a good part of it immersed in the the content that's what it looks
0: like uh so making making the decision on what to preach on and where to go like you said is deeply rooted in we both said this deeply rooted in just how how connected we are to scripture in our own personal life and our Mm -hmm. own personal study um when it comes to decisions not just in reference to preaching, but in, you know, personal decisions, life decisions, ministry decisions. Uh, one of the things that you've had an opportunity to do that not a lot of people have have had the opportunity. There's actually not many people who even have this job. Uh, you so you met you met a friend in Blacksburg, and I, I'll let you tell a little bit about that. But you you already kind of like in the shoot for for ministry, full-time ministry, and you had an opportunity to go caddy for a friend of yours. And for those that know what that is, it's a caddy is, a, is an assistant to a golfer while they're on a the course. Um, so just kind of tell us a little bit about that. Because that decision was a big decision for a number yeah. of reasons, which we'll get into. But just give us the the preview of that for just as we start that part of the conversation.
1: So golf's just one of my hobbies. And my first day, actually, that I moved to Blacksburg, we had a small group night. Um, when I was in a, a small group and I asked, does anybody play golf just for fun? And uh Someone said, yeah, this guy does. He was kind of quiet. I got with him afterwards. He was from Zimbabwe. Got his number. Hey, let's go play. He didn't really let on who he was, so we went and played around a round of golf. And uh, he shot uh, a solid 62, 10 under. <laughs> and I said, who are you? He's like, well, I play for the team. So I Google him. I come to find out he's the only first team All-American in the history of Virginia Tech. He has their scoring records. He's got every course record they've that any of the Virginia Tech has. He a week before we had played, he just won the Players Amateur, and so he had a, he was had an invite to a PGA Tour event as a college senior. Um, so I was like, okay, this guy's different. Um, he kind of comes clean. He's like, he's from Zimbabwe, so there's some sort of humility going on there which I, I really do believe he's a really humble guy he wouldn't let on how good he was at anything. So, um, it was his senior year, my first year, and all of his friends had kind of left and I didn't know anyone. We pretty much just bonded from day one and we became really close friends. Um, hung out pretty much three, four times a week. Um, And then he left and began his professional golfing career. Uh, Do you want me to get into how he actually asked me to do it? Yeah, yeah. So then come to the spring of 2000. Actually, I think it was Memorial Day weekend of 2017. He was engaged to be married and he was playing on the Asian tour, on the European tour, on the Japan golf tour and uh, he called me and he said hey man I know that uh, you're not really sure what the next step is right now and I was 25 I was single um, not really sure what was happening what was next and so he asked me if I would consider coming and um, caddying for him and uh, starting in August uh, actually starting in July, um, on the Asian tour, Can- actually Canadian tour, Asian tour, European tour, Japan tour. S- so then I did it. <laughs> All
0: right, so at that exact same moment, where were you in regards to your call to ministry?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so I was working at a church that at the time had pretty large ministry staff and, uh, pretty much not a whole lot of growth for um, financial um, raises. Just at that particular time, I think now actually they have raised their the salaries a little bit. But um, at that particular time, it was pretty clear to me that being in youth ministry there was going to be capped. Uh, just financially, you know. And so... I think uh, there was some... I I was identified as someone who maybe should start thinking about um, a different avenue, different way to serve, whether that's...
0: I mean, basically, they just couldn't keep you on.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, they could, but they it's, probably weren't going to raise much. Right, right. But yeah. So, um, encouraged to look into being a college pastor or a teaching pastor, associate pastor, anything like that. And... Um, so I was really praying about that. And that's kind of when church planning started to come to mind when I was praying and asking God, seeking him to see like, what, are, what do you want for me in ministry? So,
0: so, so you knew you were going to be a full-time ministry. Yeah. That was still your desire. Uh-huh. Why did you make the decision to accept the invitation to go caddy for your friend?
1: Uh, cause I was 25 and I was single and he asked me to come to Switzerland <laughs> and to Japan and to Taiwan and to South Korea and to all these places.
0: Yeah. So for you it was it was mostly an opportunity that presented it just that presented itself that you said I'm going to take this opportunity.
1: Yeah, I mean one I try not to make my decisions out of fear. So I wasn't about to be afraid to make the decision. Right. And then two, I it's not like I just said, "Okay, I'm quitting." You know, I did discern. I I asked God about it and I felt like the Spirit uh, was leading me, discern discerning my spirit to say, this is an okay thing to do. It's okay to do this. Right. And I asked my dad. I asked you. I asked uh, one of the pastors at North Star. I asked some of my closest friends, like, what do you guys think? And the ma- majority of people, their response was, this is an amazing opportunity. You're never going to get to do this again. And I was like, bet.
0: What, what are some of the experiences about that decision that you can say had an effect, has, under, has or had a direct effect on you
1: today. Are you talking about the decision that I made or like the time that I had?
0: Both. The decision, the time that you had, the experiences there, maybe conversations with um, with people that you met. Like what are some of the things that you can draw a hard line from that part of your life to today
1: yeah um so the decision was kind of just and this might seem weird but it affirmed the fact that it's okay to take risks it's okay to try things it's okay to um, make decisions uh that are a little bit different than what other people might make or think about them um I felt like I, I really prayed about it. I felt like I asked people what they thought. And it felt like, man, this is something I'll never, ever get to do again. But at the same time, when I was in South Korea, uh, I was brought to a place where I didn't and couldn't have p- much peace in my life. Um, and that's a have cited this before. It was in South Korea where I felt like God was showing me, look, I can take you to the ends of the earth. I can take you through the Swiss Alps and I can put you on amazing golf courses and I can take you to South Korea and you're still not going to have peace unless you're doing what I've called you to do.
0: Yeah. I actually remember you and I talking about this. I remember you called me and you said, I, I just don't, I I can't get comfortable. I mean, I don't know if you use that word, but I can't get comfortable with where I am because I'm not, I know I'm not doing what, yeah. <laughs> what God has called me to do. Uh, so I, I remember that. And I actually, you know, I remember being proud of of that statement, because I mean, for a lot of reasons, you could have found you could have wiggled your way into comfort. Yeah, I mean, you were traveling the world. I mean, you've seen places that, quite honestly, I'd love to be able to see. And I mean, through through the game of of golf, which we obviously know we both love. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that was that was interesting. Any any regrets about that decision?
1: Uh, no regrets. Not even one letter. Um, that's a that's a bad reference um, <laughs> i I really don't think that I have many regrets with it um, it that decision led to so many great things in my life including my future wife so I I can honestly sit here and say that I don't regret it I think other people regret it more than I regret it
0: Regret that you did that. Yeah. <laughs> More so than you did. What a what a what lessons was most valuable about that decision? I mean, you just said it. That decision led you to a lot of other things, including your wife. What are some of those other things? It led kind of me plan-
1: to back to Worcester to be in church planting in, at our church right now. Um, gave me a, a new appreciation, a, a fresh wind for ministry. It took me out. And saw it took me out of ministry in a way that let me see that um, man if my focus is on even the systems that we have and not Jesus it's going to kill me um, man there's so many less so many good things that came out of that um, actually there was someone who came to, to Christ in our short time we were we, we led a Bible study or two overseas I mean That's another thing that happened. Like God was definitely working at all times. Um, Yeah.
0: What's the most unique and memorable cultural experience you had while you were doing that?
1: Unique and memorable cultural experience. Uh, One that kind of stands out to me is that, um, that I think that... So many South Koreans looked similar because it was very cultural to get plastic surgery. Huh. It was very cold. Cu- it was like if you had money, it was you would get plastic surgery. It would be small things just to kind of like shaping up your face. Yeah. Um, that would uh, just for no other reason than, you know, we want to do it. It's something that our culture does. Uh, and that was kind of weird. It's like, it was kind of like a teenage thing. Like, 18, you would kind of get this small procedure done. And um, that was something that I was like, this is not America.
0: So, in, in the most not...
1: <laughs> Should we cut this? <laughs> in, the, in, the most, in the most not
0: disrespectful way, a lot of people literally look the same.
1: Yes. And it's not disrespectful like, I can't tell the difference. It was like they all had similar features.
0: Because it was culturally because appropriate. Because it was
1: culturally appropriate.
0: To get plastic to get surgery. plastic that surgery. Way. That's interesting. I don't know if you ever told me that before. That's interesting. most interesting thing you ate?
1: I didn't eat anything very interesting. <laughs> I mean, I ate sushi like in Tokyo, Japan. So that's pretty dope. But, but not interesting. I, I was try- They tried to feed. Oh, okay. Kimchi. Have you ever heard of kimchi? Absolutely. Kimchi's awesome. Kimchi's terrible. It's so good. Dude. Kimchi is not good.
0: That's not even that that's not even that big of a cultural swing food wise. Yeah. I mean, like, you like kraut, don't you? Uh.
1: Is it sauerkraut? Yeah. Do you I don't ask? really like sauerkraut. Yeah, I don't like I don't like it either. It's cabbage and so I, okay, gross. I could
0: see I could see why you wouldn't like it.
1: Yeah, so I just for the the point uh, that I was trying to make, um Yeah, never mind. I don't know what I'm about to say right there. <laughs> Alright,
0: any other any other um ex- actually no, I I one other thing. What about experiences from a culture perspective in reference to God or spirituality or religion? I mean I, I've I've traveled to you know, Asia before Cambodia. And obviously the, the, Mm -hmm. from a, from a religious standpoint, it's very different. Anything that stood out?
1: Well, this is a misconception about golfers and caddies. Almost all of my time is spent on the golf course. We didn't really get to explore the culture. And, um, so many people think that, you know, where you got to go to Switzerland, you must've hiked and you must've skied. And it's like, no, I was working. For 12 hours that day then we got some food and we went to sleep and our tea time was at 7 a.m <laughs> so that means that we're at the practice range at 5 which means we got on the bus at 4 15 no we weren't and that's in the morning we weren't exploring we were we had a job that we were set out to do play good golf so i don't even know if i can answer that
0: because most of your experience was confined to the golf confined course, course. yeah Um, so in reference to decision making, and you can use this one or even any other ones that you have, like what, what about that decision or the process to making a decision? What about that? Would you do different? Mm -hmm. Or what have you learned? How have you matured in the way that you make decisions?
1: I think several things happen that I, I guess actually my biggest regret now that I look back, it's more on the church side of things. I wasn't sure how to tell our students that I was leaving. So I, I think I sent an email to the parents and let them tell them. And it almost felt like, I I don't know, it felt like I didn't get a chance to just like be real with them. So um, when the process of making decisions, I think what that's helped me, that that mis- mistake even there, that little mistake um, has helped me to see that, um, my decisions don't just affect me. And as best as I can, I need to think about the ways that my decisions affect others and yet not live in fear and, uh, not decide not to do something just because, um, someone else doesn't approve because any big decision you're ever going to make, there's going to be someone who doesn't like it. And, um, you got to be able to balance the tension of uh, this decision affects more than just me, and at the same time, it's my decision to make. Does that do, make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do you do you have a desire to be a lead pastor someday?
1: I think probably.
0: You think probably?
1: Yes. <laughs> I think probably.
0: More yes, more no.
1: I'm like 60-40 yes.
0: That you want to be a lead pastor. Yeah,
1: about. I don't think that I was before. I, I don't know where I was, um, but I think I'm leaning that way. Yes.
0: Have you thought about the? And I know I know you have about the 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 decisions, the amount of decisions lead pastors have to make, and the things that go into it, and to the point that you just made that people are not going to like decisions that you make. I mean, you probably experience that now even though you're not a lead pastor. Yeah. Uh, you know, we make decisions all the time that people don't don't like. In fact, I actually said this to a group uh, that I was teaching recently and I said, I know you're not going to like everything that I say and I know you're not going to like every decision that I make um, but it is coming from a place to to lead us into growth and or into deeper connection with, with Christ and Basically, I just ask them to be a partner with what it is that we're doing. So, you know that that's going to be a part of it. So, why 60% yes, 40% no?
1: Um, I don't know if I've ever been put on the spot like that for why, why 40% no, but I think a lot of my no is, if I'm being 100% candid, is probably based on fear, and maybe lack of clarity, I don't feel like at this moment I could say for sure this is what God wants. Sometimes I have that, you know, and maybe I'll never have that, like, this is the decision, you know, the oracle of God type thing, but um, I think that it comes from there. I'm just, I'm not clear on that quite yet.
0: People ask me, do you want to? And my answer is quickly, no. Yeah. And I think part of it is, one, I do have that clarity. I don't think it has anything to do with gifting or anything like that. I just honestly don't have a desire for it, one, and I think that the Lord has gifted me to be a really good number two guy. And I know it's not something that a lot of people hear. Mm-hmm. I, I actually I love being a number two guy. I love being an executive guy. I love being the, the mobilizer of the vision that our lead pastor has in place. So I, I don't really have a desire to be a lead passer and I don't I don't know that at this point that God has gifted me for that more so than being someone's number 2.
1: You're like Kyrie Irving. You know, when Kyrie was the second best player, he wins a title. And when he tries to be the first the the number 1 guy, doesn't work so well. Now I'm not saying that would happen to you, but Kyrie is obviously the is a better player as a number 2.
0: This podcast is not sponsored
1: by 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 Kyrie. <laughs> I'm just Or Kevin okay, Love. Or okay, I, I, I
0: uh, I've never thought about it that way. Yeah, but I, I love I I love being a number two guy. I love it. Yeah. So last thing that I want us to get into, and you used it in a different context. You said there's a huge misconception about caddies and golfers. They think we're. And you said well, I'm on the golf course the whole time. There's a huge misconception about how pastors handle tough stuff, about handling confrontation, about handling people that are in opposition, about handling tough decisions, about handling people that are upset at you or that are going to leave your church or that um, have an issue with parts of your personality. And that's something that I think You can't learn in seminary. No, no no, schools colleges aren't teaching young pastors pastors that. I mean, I think it comes up a little bit, but that doesn't that's not talked about. How how do you handle confrontation, tension, disagreements, feelings about you as a person, as a pastor, decisions that you've made, why you said what you said, why you wore what you wore, why did you do this? Why did you do that? How do you handle those things in your own self when they come up? Because they are going to come up. They come up all the time. You can't run away from them. In a lot of ways, you can't get away from them. We're in the business of people. And when there's people, these things exist. How do you handle that?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing is if someone has a a problem with any of the things that I do decision wise or anything of the sort, and it comes to my attention, I try to be vigilant to go talk to them about it. And that's much easier said than done. Um, but I think that would be the, in an ideal world, it would be have a one, one-on-one face-to-face conversation. Most of the time that person is feeling like they're not being heard or they are misunderstood or they don't matter. Um, and it, it really just takes a half hour to an hour appointment where you affirm that you do care about them, that you do love them, and um, that their thoughts and emotions are valid. And then they, they're usually off your back. Now, if there's a mutiny kind of going behind your back because of decisions that you make, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, that's, that's a like, whole other ball. Game. We don't have time for that. That's a whole nother ball ballgame.
0: That's, that's a separate but, separate conversation.
1: A very separate conversation. But just when it comes to like one-on-one, someone's kind of just upset for seemingly no reason most of the time they just feel like they haven't been heard and uh if you're not if you don't listen if you're not listening they're probably going to grumble to someone else and then as pastors you know there's this fine line where we are leading the flock yep by jesus you know jesus is the good shepherd who's leading us and he's the good shepherd who leads our flock and then we are the little shepherds who are also leading our flock So, um, bad shepherds are ones that let their flock do whatever they want, because a flock that does whatever it wants, like a flock of sheep that does whatever it wants, it will, it'll eat the bad grass forever. It won't move. Yeah. But shepherds lead them to green pastures. And that's part of the burden of being a shepherd is sometimes green pastures don't look like green pastures at that time. And we trust that. The decisions that we make in Christ are ones that are leading people to green pastures, um, so I think you have to be really sure um, that Jesus is the good shepherd and you're not, and um, you're you got to really trust Jesus in those decisions.
0: I mean, when I, as a as a younger pastor, one of the things that I learned about myself is just like the 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 amount of emotional swings that I have and i didn't even know i was aware of that I and mean, and i think now as an adult i look back at my life as a child and i could see i could see evidences of that um, but but those emotions they swing one way and they swing another way and and one of the things that i was really terrified of as a young pastor knowing my personality type knowing where i'm where i'm from culturally i really didn't want the mismanagement of my emotions to hurt people And I didn't want the mismanagement of my emotions to hurt the ministry. And I can't sit here and say that I haven't done that before, but I can sit here and say that I've been very conscious of it and worked really hard at it and continually to work hard at it. How, how have you seen the mismanagement of, of emotions hurt ministry from pastors other the pastors, obviously, you know, we're not, not going to say who they are, but I mean, like just, just as young, I mean, maybe you don't, might even think of anyone specifically, but just a time, you know, or even in yourself, have you seen the mismanagement of your own emotions, hurt, ministry, big, small, medium, doesn't really matter. Have you seen that? And then how do you proactively, not obviously not reactively, proactively work on managing who you are in Christ so that
1: you could successfully do what he's called you to do? I think one of one of the calls of the pastor is to be composed. Another way to say it is to be gentle. Yeah,
0: self-controlled. Self-controlled. self-controlled yeah.
1: Gentle, composed. And you're right, we shouldn't just start spewing names. But um, I would just say that the best pastors, the ones I look up to, the ones that I still try to talk to and ask questions to are the pastors who are composed. The pastors who are self-controlled. The pastors who are... Um, gentle. those people are also the people who um, from what I can assess get their identity strictly from Christ, not from their their pulpit, not from their church, not from the ministries that they go that they lead, not from their spouse, not from their kids, their identity is in Christ and when your identity is in Christ it's much easier to be composed because, even the things that people say about you, it's okay. You, you've got Jesus in your corner.
0: I mean, obviously, this isn't a new problem because Paul says it a number of times. I mean, if it, if, if it wasn't an issue, he wouldn't have said it. He, so he makes a point to say you have to be composed. You have to be self-controlled. So in the role of pastor specifically, why do you think that that's a problem? Why do you think that it's a problem I mean, obviously, we, like the role of pastor is filled by humans, so we can just answer it from that perspective. But, mm-hmm. but why do you think the role of pastor specifically is to the point where we have to manage ourselves in a way that we're composed and self-controlled and reminded who we are in Christ so that we can do the job?
1: Why, why is it so hard or why is it so important?
0: Why is it hard? Why is that hard for pastors specifically?
1: Um, I think it kind of comes back to our last episode. Pastors, for some reason, are seen as these people who don't struggle with sin. And it, when you're when the pressure's put on that you're not supposed to struggle with sin, or you're supposed to be perfect, or you're supposed to um, have this holier than thou persona, uh, that comes to an end really quick. And then you're not composed and you're not self controlled because you're resting in your own strength. Um, so I think part of the reason it's so hard is because, uh, I mean, the sin of the pastor is resting in themselves and resting in our own skills. You said it, you know, when you first started to teach, you were resting in your own ability to teach and, um, it takes a long time. And I, I hope that I'm on this journey for a long time, figuring out what it means to rest in Christ, even in my own gifting. Um, I think it's as simple as that.
0: You asked why is it important. I mean, it's important because it's amazing how your level of composure in seasons of difficulty, your level of self-control every day, regardless of how difficult that day may be, how much that actually points to Christ. I say it all the time. and I don't say it to be funny. I don't say it to be, you know, super holy guy. But I, I know I wouldn't be able to do what I do if I wasn't resting in Christ because... You know the Cedric that's disconnected from Christ. That dude's wild. And yeah, I, mean, I don't. I don't. I know. I know that if if I'm not, this is gonna. It's not gonna be good. So you ask why it's important. It's important because it it aligns with my me being a follower of Christ, and it aligns with the job that I've been given of pastor and overseer and and spiritual
1: leader. That dude who's disconnected from Christ probably drinks Millie Rock. <laughs> All
0: right. Wait, I thought Millie Rock was a chicken.
1: I didn't I, oh, I didn't know it was uh, a drink. Now it's a drink. Uh, Millie Rock is the uh, pasteurized dairy product. <laughs>
0: it's it's going to be the official substitute for anything that... You know, anything. Anything. We're just going to start saying that. Just the Millie you Rock. You get your Millie Rock today? Millie Rock podcast. That's right. Um, we're right, not so sponsored by Millie Rock. We're not sponsored by Milly Rock. So, last thing. what what's the What's the scripture you use most often? that helps you maintain the godliness that that you've been called to, that we've been called to?
1: I can honestly say it's John 15, 1 through 11. Um, The part that sticks out to me the most is, if you abide in me, now this is Jesus talking, if you abide in me, I will abide back into you. And anything that you ask of me, you'll have. But if you don't abide in me, I won't abide back into you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think there was a season where even I was trying to do ministry apart from Jesus. Apart from communing with Him. Apart from being enamored by Him. Apart from worshiping Him and pressing into Him. And when I did that, it was impossible. I couldn't fight temptation. I couldn't fight my sin. I couldn't fight... uh, my lack of self-control. Those things overtook me because I was doing it myself. I'm reminded. it's Currently it's the background of my lock screen is John 15. I'm reminded that with Christ, it's this life is possible to navigate. Without Him, I can do nothing. And I am nothing. And it's a great reminder of the ways that Jesus steps in my place and he lives the life that i should have lived and dies the death that i should should die and um, i think of the fact that in hebrews it says while we were yet sinners christ died for us it's just that reminder that i'm just like everyone else desperately hopeless without him and absolutely loved with him
0: well said so,
1: what are we eating at your wedding? <laughs> we're finally May eleventh. Melissa and I are going to uh, try the food. So we're, we gotta go try to see what we're gonna actually eat. Um, um, we haven't quite decided. Yet. I mean, any, anything,
0: anything at all. Any, any. Just give, just give us one what's the what's the what's the lot the greatest possibility that's going to be on
1: my plate like what's the thing
0: i mean you may not you haven't picked it out yet but the greatest chance two
1: varieties of protein delicious and some sort of uh, vegetable medley and some sort of delicious dessert
0: gotcha so we don't 100% know no, two no. two protein choices some Millie Rock vegetables, <laughs> some Millie, Millie Rock, Rock vegetables, <laughs> um, some, some other things